Mark your calendars! The ADCES 24 Annual Conference parades into New Orleans August 9-12, through 12, 2024. Registration opens March 26, but you can start planning your trip now. Get ready to seize opportunities to connect, learn, and optimize your diabetes care and education practice. Stay tuned for updates at adces24.org. Hello, and welcome to the ADCES podcast, The Huddle, conversations with the diabetes care team. In each episode, we speak with guests from across the diabetes care space to bring you perspectives, issues, and updates that elevate your role, inform your practice, and ignite your passion. If you enjoy The Huddle, please take a minute to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. I'm Kirsten Yale, Research Manager at the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists. Today, we're discussing the impact of texting in the management of type 2 diabetes. Robin Whitmore and Dora lenvi Wishick join us today to discuss their latest research and how you can utilize texting to improve outcomes. Dr. Whitmore is a professor at Yale School of Nursing and co-director of the National Clinical Scholars Program at Yale. Dr. lenvi Wishick coordinates national research studies at the Veterans Health Administration and is in her third year of her PhD studies at the Yale School of Nursing. You can find their research published in the December 2020 issue of the ADCES journal, The Diabetes Educator. Robin and Dora, welcome to the huddle. Hi. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. We are so pleased to have you on for this conversation. You know, many of our conversations on the huddle this year have sort of meandered, I'll say, towards how diabetes care and education specialists are using technology to reach people with diabetes. So the study you guys just published in the Science of Diabetes Self-Management and Care, looking at the motivational impacts of text messaging and people with type 2 diabetes, it totally caught my eye. We're just really happy you're here to share your thoughts on your findings and what might be important to our listeners. But before we jump into that, you both have a breadth of expertise and really interesting backgrounds and what brought you to this place to design and execute a project like this. If you're willing, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background with our listeners. Sure, I'll start. I'm Robin Whittemore, and I've been a nurse for over 25 years. And it was my early experiences as a nurse working in post-anesthesia care units and post-op units where I saw all of the many preventable complications from type 2 diabetes. And it was at that time that I realized that I wanted to devote my career to helping to prevent patients from coming into the hospital with complications from diabetes. So I went on to get my master's degree and my PhD in nursing, and I've spent the last 15 years or so doing research on helping patients or strategies to help patients better manage their diabetes and or prevent their diabetes. And Dora? So my name is Dora Landway-Wishik, and I am in my third year of PhD studies at the Yale School of Nursing. My research is focusing on metabolic abnormalities in post-9-11 veterans. But besides being a graduate student, I also work part-time as a nurse at the uh, West Haven VA, primarily to facilitate the increase of access to and treatment with medications for opioid use disorders in veterans, and primarily by using telemedicine. So again, connected to technology. I have to say, I love interviewing 
diabetes care and education specialists that do research because not only are you guys researchers, but most of you guys, I would say like 90% that I interview have this really incredible, rich clinical background that you're able to translate into the research area, which is so important as we try to reach especially vulnerable populations. But just thinking specifically about this project, how did you choose this topic? So at the time, I was working with colleagues in Mexico City to develop a diabetes self-management education program for the poor and underserved in Mexico City. And we wanted to include a daily text messaging component to provide diabetes education and reinforcement of education, as well as empowerment and motivation. Many adults with type 2 diabetes in Mexico City often believe that once they have a diagnosis of diabetes, then they're destined to have complications and die. And so we felt that it was very important to include this empowerment component of, yes, you can do something to have good quality of life and prevent complications. And so in this program, we provided text messaging as well as a six-week group-based education program. And we had excellent attendance, we had great completion of the program, and we also had very promising outcomes. And the participants enjoyed the classes, but they loved the text messages. And they spoke to us very highly about how happy they were to receive them and how they helped to keep them engaged in their care. And so this made me wonder why text messaging programs were not widely implemented in clinical practice in the United States. And when I went to the literature on text messaging programs, I discovered there were hundreds of studies specific to adults with diabetes with many different ways to provide text messages one way or two way with clinician support, with other web-based support. And there was lots of conflicting findings. So our team decided that we would try to complete a systematic review, but discovered that there were already many systematic reviews published on this topic. And so then we felt that maybe in order to influence evidence-based practice, it would be helpful then to synthesize the evidence on all of the systematic reviews. So I'm really curious to find out a little bit more about the systematic review. We do that a lot, I know, in research to look at evidence and gaps. So back to where you were at, you take this dive in, you look at there's already a breadth of research out there and the systematic reviews out there. So you decided to do an umbrella study, right? Yes. And that is basically the next level up in terms of synthesizing evidence. So an umbrella review is the review of the reviews. And it's a relatively new term, but the advantage of it is that it can bring together information from a large body of literature, systematic reviews, and then it can really help inform healthcare delivery, research, and policy. But, you know, there's also disadvantages of it. First of all, it's very time consuming. You are essentially reading a lot of reviews and and it can be very challenging because you're trying to decipher results from systematic reviews that have studies in them with different designs or with different intervention types and even different outcome measures. So in this case, you know, some would have type 1 and type 2 diabetes outcome measures. And we wanted to focus just on type 2 diabetes outcomes. So we had to pick those out carefully and rigorously. And all in all, we found nine systematic reviews in this umbrella review, which consisted of a total of 72 unique studies, and they were published between 2011 and 2019. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you designed the study or what you were really looking for when you set the study up? So one of the things that we were focused on initially was type 2 diabetes. And so knowing that there's unique differences with different chronic illnesses and even within diabetes, there's a lot of differences between type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And there have been previous systematic and umbrella reviews that have looked at text messages one even specific to diabetes, but it included both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. And so our purpose was to really go in and focus specifically on adults with type 2 diabetes. And while we all know that A1C is a really important outcome for type 2 diabetes, we also wanted to dive a bit deeper into these reviews and look more at other outcomes that they might be having an effect on, like blood pressure and lipids and things like that. So when you decided on these variables, I know we've had conversations about this in the past, like the difference between text messaging and mobile apps, because you didn't include mobile apps when you started looking at these variables, right? Correct. And that was, again, a a really important um, decision that we had to make. And again, it's a challenging aspect of looking at technology because technology changes over time. And But we found that they're consistently over time, even going back from 2000 to the present time, there were consistent studies that had focused primarily on text messages. And so text messaging programs typically have a text bank. And by that, I mean a list of all the messages that are going to be delivered to the participants, um, whether they're based on a program, whether they're based on a theory, they have sort of a cohesive outline for the types of messages and what the actual messages are. And then the messages then are provided in a specific order, um, usually automated to be delivered daily or possibly several times a week. Some text messages programs can be linked to other automated response systems to give feedback to the participant based on the data. So if somebody includes their blood glucose level, there's ways to automate a response to a participant based on that level. Those types of text messages, I believe, have evolved into apps. And so apps tend to be a more comprehensive type of program where they systematically collect data from the user and based on that user provide graphics or ways to show the data so the participant gets feedback and the program can then also provide or the app can also provide feedback based on the information that the patient has provided. So Robin and Dora, what were some of the key findings from the study? Sure. So again, we looked at nine systematic reviews that had 72 unique studies in them published between 2011 and 2019. Five of those had a meta-analysis on the effect of A1C as well. The sample sizes in these 70 studies was interesting to see. It ranged from 18 to as high as 366 participants. And it was really primarily targeting middle-aged people. So the mean age, which was reported in the systematic reviews, were between 47 and 65 years. Another interesting point to mention is that these spanned studies from 18 countries, really with a good global representation. So you could see studies from all continents. I may have mentioned this earlier, but the text messages the programs itself ranged from two weeks to 12 months, and they utilized both the uni or the one-way or the bi-directional two-way messaging strategies. And so what we found as far as clinical outcomes were that 
the text message programs, regardless of whether they were one-way or two-way, improved health outcomes. As Dora mentioned, there were five meta-analyses that were done looking at the cumulative effect on A1C, and these demonstrated a 0.4 to 0.8% reduction in A1C across all of the studies, which is a clinically significant um, reduction in A1C. And we also saw that the effect on other outcomes was promising with perspective to uh, the blood pressure, with respect to lipids, self-management, and self-efficacy. The one clinical outcome that they did not seem to have an impact on was weight loss. So what we feel, though, by doing this systematic review is that it adds to the existing body of research on the positive effect of texting, again, as an adjunct to clinical care. So if our listeners are healthcare professionals trying to implement text messaging into their programs or practice, is there an easy way to do this? Or is there a way to use the EMR or EHR? Just from your experience and your study, how would you suggest they go about doing this? I agree that with the increased use of the patient portal and technology in healthcare, we do feel that text message programs could be an effective and cost-efficient adjunct to clinical care. The, The one thing that they would require is this text message bank, right? So it needs to have the list of all of the messages in the order that they are delivered daily. I think to try to use text messaging on an individual basis can be used in certain clinical situations. But I think in order to, you know, again, support patients with their diabetes self-management behaviors, I think that these text message banks, these automated messages can be efficient way to do that. So the clinicians could identify some aspect of diabetes care that could meet their patient population, and they could create a text bank. We would recommend that they do this in a team and possibly even include some patients in the team in order to make sure that the messages you know, again, are aligned with the needs and the goals of all of the different people or the different stakeholders that would be using the text messages. Another way that a clinician could possibly use text messages is to contact the researcher of a particular study that had used text messages in their study and already has an existing text message bank. And they may be willing to share that text message bank with the clinicians for them to then collaborate and implement this in their clinical practice. So this would almost be a resource, but what you're saying is there's no real banks out there, but they would have to, if you read about somebody that's doing research and they've used a bank, any of our listeners could reach out to them and say, hey, are you willing to share your bank? Yes, absolutely. Yes. And again, it could be a great collaboration where then they use the bank and they collect some data from their specific clinic on, you know, how many people enrolled and what was their satisfaction with it, how many people dropped out of the program, that kind of thing would be, you know, an interesting implementation project too. In our umbrella review, we looked at them, although the studies, when some had bidirectional both ways, some just had unidirectional or one-way communication, it seemed inconclusive as for which one works better. But just keep in mind, if you want to consider using two-way, that you have to have staff that is available to answer and then in ample time. And that just adds another layer to the complexity of it. And it might not bring you much better results. So. And that comment, Dora, which I totally appreciate, brings up a question that I've been thinking about through this second half of our conversation, which is how to actually implement these banks. So if you get a text bank, right, so it's just basically copy pasting. Is that what you would suggest? Copy paste, you know, a message into the portal. 
or the SMS, whatever you're using to text somebody. So then the person with diabetes would respond and then you would have to choose another message to then paste in. Or at some point, would you ever bring in your own expertise and a way of responding to somebody and then add that to the bank? All of the above. And that again, depends on what you have resources for. But you could just choose to, if the patient would be willing to try to see if text messages will help them in their disease process or their treatment of diabetes, then you can send it once a day or multiple times a day and see what works. These banks are a great starting point and a jumping off point. And I think what the diabetes care and education specialist does is, you know, so much of what they do is analyze the behavior piece. So then at least they have a jumping off point and then they can assess as they move forward and as they're trained to do. But that brings up some of these, you know, challenges like access, time, What are some of the challenges? Since you guys have done this, I'm going to say you're experts in this field, what are the challenges and how would you advise the diabetes care and education specialists tackle those challenges? One of the challenges found is the question is how long will people use this? How long should you be sending them messages and how many? So the studies that we looked at in the umbrella review looked at attrition, feasibility, but not all of them. So about half, four of them showed it. And it showed a high satisfaction, for example, in those that measured it. People seem to have liked it. But also the intervention spanned between two weeks and 12 months. So nothing more than a year, but as short as two weeks to send this to people. So then the question is, again, how long you want to do it? And what we see is that satisfaction seems to be there. Attrition is somewhat low, but we don't have full data on that. So that is certainly a challenge. And then as I've said before, the question of the complexity of how complex you might want to incorporate this into your practice and you want to use the two-way messages, then you have to make sure that the staff is there and the infrastructure to support that. But otherwise, if you just use text messages, which are a cheap, as Robin said, it's a simple way, it's a cost-effective way to send people who have diabetes with messages that could help them check their sugar, think about their diet, remind them of the exercise, and so on and so forth, then data shows that 99% of people look at their text messages within three minutes of receiving it. So a good way to start. Now, the other thing I also would like to mention, though, here, as far as the implementation, you know, the other thing, they will need tech support. In order to automate your text messages, you're going to need some tech support from your clinical technology team in order to set this all up. Okay. So it's not just the bank. So you get your hands on the bank and then you work with your tech team in your health system to set it up, right? Correct. Yes. Perfect. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. I love what you've given us here and what this paper's given us to say using text messages to reach these vulnerable populations and motivate them to work with their diabetes and work with their healthcare professional. But I guess both Robin and Dora If you had that crystal ball to see in the future, where do you see text messaging going or any kind of messaging going? So as I mentioned previously, I think that mobile apps are great for self-monitoring and feedback on behaviors or blood glucose levels. But where I'd like to see text messages move is into more multimedia, so where you could send short video clips or images or pictures. And this could help us to break down complex diabetes education and support into shorter segments that would be more easily understood and retained. 
And I also think that then these could all be starting to move through social media channels. Okay, so not only just going to an individual, but they could go to their social network team or a clinic could have their own social media channel where they send their own multimedia messages out to the larger community or population at large. Yeah, and that would be my crystal ball. I love that analogy as well, because I think that helping people build that sense of community or draw from your community where you can share what you're going through and maybe hear some other people's success or struggles is very helpful and powerful. So I hope that it will go a little bit towards that direction as well. And again, this is that dichotomy, right? Where we're using technology and it takes away the human piece, but then you want to bring back the human piece and how do you make that happen? So it will evolve into something. I appreciate you guys sharing your thoughts. And I always love asking researchers this question because it's where you live, right? Is, you know, you're using and you're implementing what works now. But while you're doing that, you have this experience and this insight of seeing what could be coming possibly in the future and strategically down the road. So, you know, the behavioral aspect of the by communication and then I love that idea of sharing videos or it just reminds me of how emojis and memes evolved, you know, like people, you know, seem to react to that instead of the simple text messaging. But right now your paper shows text messaging works and it reaches these populations that we really need to reach that are extremely vulnerable. Dora and Robin, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that our listeners will value the information you've provided. Our pleasure. It's delightful for us to be here. And thank you for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Huddle, Conversations with the Diabetes Care Team. Today, we heard from Robin Whitmore and Dora Lenfi-Wishick about their latest research in texting interventions in type 2 diabetes management. We learned that texting programs were found to have a positive impact on A1C and blood pressure, as well as overall self-management. They can be used as one-way reminders on appointment times and treatment plan details, or even as two-way forms of communication to check in on clients and gauge what level of care might be necessary. You can access text banks as described in this episode by contacting authors of previous studies on texting. Visit the show notes for additional resources. The study discussed in this episode is available in the December 2020 issue of the Diabetes Educator. To take a deeper dive into today's topic or to access more research on the science of diabetes self-management and care, visit diabeteseducator.org forward slash TDE. And remember, ADCES is here to help you. Membership gives you access to the education, networking, and resources to improve your practice and optimize outcomes for your clients. Find out what ADCES can do for you at diabeteseducator.org forward slash join. The information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and may not be appropriate or applicable for your individual circumstances. This podcast does not provide medical or professional advice and is not a substitute for consultation with a healthcare professional. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. 